Hello and welcome to episode 116 of Fergo and the Freak. I'm that bloke from Rugby League Project, Andrew Ferguson. You can find me on Twitter at AndrewRP. And join me once again is the glorious League Freak. You can find me on Twitter at League Freak. How you going there, mate? I'm going very well, Andrew Ferguson. How are you? This is very formal. I love it. Yeah. Um, You've got to be very... formal when you start these podcasts, you know. Uh, yes, as, as opposed to what we did in the last one. Yeah. yeah. Another one bites the dust. That, that was I mean, at least at least we warmed up. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, today we figure we're going to keep going on this history trend, but instead of going way back to the early days, which is you know my domain, we're going to talk about you know we're going to look at one season in depth, and it's one that we both went through. And yeah. uh, we're going to look at 1994. Yeah, and I th- I think that there's been a couple of really good seasons since '94, but I think in in my lifetime, I, when you look at the entirety of the 1994 season, I feel like that's the best season that I've ever seen. Yeah, the one thing that stands out for me from 94 was Brett Mullins. Yeah, he dominated that year. Um, and man, he scored some of the most memorable tries ever. But there's so many great moments that come out of 94. And they happen at like all levels of the game as well. It's just one of those really magic seasons, and it's ironically a big pivot point in the history of the entire game as well for other reasons. Yeah, so I suppose we'll start with this is the last time that the um, rugby league competition, the main premier competition as it were, was known as the New South Wales Rugby League. Yep. And the following season, they, they'd they already announced that there were plans to bring in a team from Auckland, uh, another team from Brisbane, and they had, what were the other teams, North Queensland? Uh, two teams from Brisbane. Two teams from Brisbane. Oh, sorry, sorry, two teams from Queensland, yeah. One from one from Brisbane, one from North Queensland, yeah. one from Western Australia, and one from That's New right. Zealand. Perth, Perth, which were the Western Reds back then still. So, yeah. And it was like, it was weird. Rugby league for the most part, still had, I don't know, there was this magic about it and this rude, it was in rude health and it was really confident in itself and it was just about to make a next step. Yeah, it was, it was, the game was was improving so rapidly and the, the crowd figures, the money coming in through sponsorship, all that sort of stuff. It was just going on in leaps and bounds. Yeah, it was really amazing. So I guess we'll get stuck into the to the season. Yeah. Let's All do right. it. So we'll start with something that didn't even happen really in Australia. Mm-hmm. Uh, January 2, Wigan chairman Jack Robertson accuses Auckland Warriors coach John Money of breaking up his present and Money's former club by signing Wigan and Great Britain test prop Andy Platt. Platt's signing for Auckland followed that of Wigan's former uh, Kiwi test centre Dean Bell. Now, Andy Platt, I believe he is the one where the, he had the legendary dog. Yes, that's the one. Yeah, and <laughs> he, and the the legend is that how, how much they said they would spend to get Andy Platt's dog into Auckland so he could keep his dog was astronomical. Yes, it's crazy. It actually reminds me, too, that this is probably the, the last season when the... Australian competition and the English competition were reasonably close. 
as far as the club the club competitions went. Yeah, and I I mean I'm willing to say that in 1994, at the least where we're at now, at the very start of 1994, if somebody said what is the best team in the world, it's very easy to say Wigan. Absolutely. And I think everybody in Australia at this time, Wigan was, I mean, they were the standard. They were almost the Great Britain team. They had a lot of players that were genuinely, if they weren't the best player in the world at their position, they were in the top two or three. Um, and it was probably the last time that we looked to England and and there were players that were like, oh my goodness, I hope he probably comes over here. He's an exciting player. So, uh, we're looking here already at Andy Platt and Dean Bell coming across. Mm. Three three days later, Great Britain coach Malcolm Riley calls for an immediate halt to the drain of players to Sydney following Platt's decision and the news of John Devereux linking with the Western Reds. Mm-hmm. Three days and three players look like the jumping ship already out of England. Yeah. and That's panic stations already. Yeah, I, like I guess looking back on it, I think the, I mean, there were a lot of problems that saw Australia leap and everyone else leap ahead of of Great Britain. But um, I guess this was just a sign that there was a change coming, and I guess that it also showed that in Australia there was a lot of money. Whereas I mean, like before that, if Wigan wanted someone, they got them. Like it was just that yeah. simple. They the, the were the Sydney richest team. Nah, no, nah, they were the richest team in the world and by the length of the straight. Um, and this was maybe the first sign of that changing. Yep. Uh, January 8th, Balmain dumped Mark Geyer from their first grade squad for repeatedly missing training without explanation. Yeah, uh, and we're, we're actually still planning on having Mark on. And he's, I mean, we've talked to him, I've talked to him on the phone a little bit about it. Um, and he's like, yeah, ask me about anything. So we'll ask him about at that time in his career. It'll be interesting <laughs> to find out about it. It will. Um, January 10, North stick to their decision not to release winger Daryl Halligan after a meeting between Halligan and club directors. Um, and eight days later, Halligan failed to attend training, suggesting that the dispute with the club was far from over. Yeah, we all know where he ended up. So, <laughs> yeah, poor old North Sydney. Um, yeah, um, where would he? Rugby January twenty, rugby league and rugby union on a collision course after news that rugby's World Cup could be transferred from South Africa to Britain in ninety five, in direct opposition to rugby league centenary World Cup. I don't. How would that have? That. How would that have gone down? Yeah, that would have been weird. But you know what? At the time, and, and it's probably one of the great moments for Rugby Union that that didn't happen. Because by having their, their, World, Cup in South, their World Cup in South Africa, that was the big leap for the Rugby Union World Cup. Like before oh. that, it was like a sports carnival. Like yeah. it was nothing. And that one, South Africa had just come out of the apartheid era. And they had just had their sporting teams being allowed to compete once again uh, in world sports. And that was like a chance for South African people and mostly for the white population of South Africa to go to a big event, go to a big world sporting event. And it really vaulted the Rugby Union World Cup into a different level. 
Um, and the funny thing was, like, the Rugby League World Cup was at a very high level as well back then. And it was probably the last Rugby League World Cup that you could say was at that sort of level. I think that, I mean, obviously after that it fell right away. And yeah, then the, it, that's it's the thing, been though, is since. through the 80s, they abandoned the typical World Cup structure that we know of, where everyone turns up at one place for three or four weeks and you play against each other and you have a final. Mm-hmm. The way it worked through the 80s and up until 99, so I think it was 85 to 88 and then 89 to 92, mm-hmm. what would happen was the, I think it was the third test in every three match, every three test series would actually be the World Cup game. Mm-hmm. So there was no actual World Cup tournament. And at the end of all of those test series over those three or four years, the two teams with the best record would then play the World Cup final. That's it. There was no actual tournament. Yeah. Um, and that just sort of showed that while the thinking was good, you know, it meant that World Cup was somewhat still relevant. It meant that if there was a three-match test series being on and one team was dominant, then the third match still meant something. Mm-hmm. So that was still good. But it just meant the World Cup itself was practically a non-event. Yeah, and the, uh, the thing to remember too about in 1994, the Rugby League world was a very much a, a smaller place. Oh, yeah. But at the same time, everyone was all right about it. Like, it wasn't a problem. Um, and it's probably hard, weird to look back at now and sort of be like, how was that not a problem? But it was just where the sport was at at the time. Um, so yeah, it, it was a very different time for the sport at international level, but weirdly enough, I still feel like it was a bit of a golden moment in, for international rugby league as well. Hmm. Um, here's a sign of the, the linkage between the two countries, England and Australia. January 22, the Brisbane Broncos historic takeover of the London Crusaders becomes official. The English club will now be known as the London Broncos. And they basically got any... This is a great way around the salary cap, if you think about it. Because any player that the Brisbane Broncos didn't want, they could send them to London. Because mm-hmm. they own that club as well anyway. So you could probably still pay them the same amount of money, but they'd just be playing in a different comp. And do you remember when that move happened, uh, how exciting it was? Oh, yeah. Like, people over here were excited about that. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to see what they do. Yeah, yeah. And it was like this link up between probably the biggest club in Australia at the time. And now they had a foot in the door in London. And it was seen as like it was going to make London Rugby League big again. You know, well, not big again, big for the stuff to start with. And it was just a real time of optimism for Rugby League. And it's. I feel like we're maybe only just getting that back. I agree, yeah. Uh, Australia Day. Australian Captain Mel Meninga is awarded an Order of Australian Medal in the Australian Day Honours List. And North Sydney reluctantly released top point scoring winger Daryl Halligan. And he made a decision to join Canterbury on a three-year deal. Mm, good move uh, for him. Yeah. Uh, the following day, the Tuish Challenge competition is launched at Uluru. The competition offers prize money of over $700,000. Mm. 
And they marketed that as League Roxialis, which is pretty cool. There you go. I didn't remember that one. Um, January 28th. Canberra released test, uh, New Zealand test winger Sean Hoppy from the final year of his contract after he signed with the Auckland Warriors for 1995. He was then immediately snapped up by North Sydney for the 1994 season. So in the space of two days, North have lost one Kiwi winger and replaced it with another one. Yeah, and it's really weird because I kind of still think of Sean Hoppy as a North player and he was only there for one year. Yeah, one season. Um, January 29, the South Queensland Crushers make their debut in a trial against Cronulla reserve grade at Caltex Field. The Crushers find they're going tough and lose 32-16. to St George defeats South 14-11 before 20,000 fans at the SFS at, in the Charity Shield match. Uh, uh, so where did the Crushers play? Did they play a season in the Queensland Cup? Oh, they, they may well have. Yeah, because if they're playing games already, um, yeah. that's interesting. I didn't realise they were playing games in 94. Yeah. Some of, some of these new teams, they would be, they'd play the occasional trial match throughout the year mm. whenever they had the numbers up. But yeah, I think South Queensland may have been playing in the Queensland Cup or whatever it was known as at the time. Yeah, I wonder what it was known as back it might then. Have been, it might have still been known as the Winfield Cup then. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah that makes sense. The New South Wales Rugby League and the Queensland competitions were both called the Winfield Cup for most of the 80s and early 90s, I believe. Mm. Um, January 31, Martin O'Fire, Sean Edwards and Paul Newlove withdraw from Great Britain's lineup for the Coca-Cola World Sevens. Wow. What a loss. <laughs> wow. That's three huge losses right there. Yeah, that might be... I mean, in, in Offia, maybe the best sevens player by by a long, long way. For back in 94, yeah. who would you have taken over Offia in 94 as a, as a sevens player? I can only think of Mullins. But then that's, that's, based, that's based on Mullins' form at the end of 94. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, geez, it'd be hard. Wow. That's crazy. Um, February 4, the World 7s begin at the SFS with 27 teams to participating. Western Samoa caused the first major upset when they defeated... Have a guess. Penrith. Great Britain, 1810. Oh, yes! Why didn't I know about this? <laughs> wow, we need, to, we need to do a whole episode on this one. <laughs> <laughs> Back in Yeah. How about that 27 teams? Then this is what I'm talking about. Rugby League had this this thing of just like, yeah, let's do it. Yes, 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 yes. Let's do it. Expand, expand, expand. 27 teams. They would never do that now. Yeah. Do you remember the controversy that happened in the final of the World Sevens? Ooh, let me think. It wasn't anything to do with what happened on the field, really. Did the, did the trophy fall apart? No. The Oh man, I can't remember. Manly won. Yeah. Oh yes, I do. They won the they won the Coca Cola Sevens and they they were sponsored by Pepsi. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. That's awesome. Um 
details, February 7, details of the Broncos World Club Championship clash with the British champions are revealed. Brisbane expects a capacity ANZ Stadium, and this is ANZ, which is the, I think it's now known as QE2 Stadium in Brisbane. Yeah. Um, they expected a crowd of 70,000 people, a worldwide viewing audience of 200 million, and gate and television receipts to top the $1 million mark for the match, which would be played on June the 1st. Yeah, and this was the last World Club Challenge, I believe, that was played um, because obviously the seasons didn't line up. So, so in England, they were still playing in their winter. And yeah. so the, by the end of their season, they had their champion. And it was coming into and it was basically coming into our season. And uh, this was really the last of the real World Club Challenge games. And when Wigan come over here, I, I mean, they were the best team in the world. Yeah, they're absolute superstars. Um, February 8, Don and Matt Rogers, sons of former great Steve Rogers, signed with the Sharks for the 94 season. Oh, wow, that's interesting. <laughs> um, February 9, the Tuish Challenge competition begins in, in uh, oppressive heat at Penrith. Temperatures of 30 degrees and high humidity combine to produce unbearable conditions for the players. Canberra coach Tim Sheen said, it's all very well taking the game to the people, but the players' welfare has to be considered too. Yeah, and I guess uh, from an instance like that, that's where you get the drinks breaks at 20 minutes. I mean, they come in not too long after that. Um, Some of the other destinations they had were pretty interesting. They were country destinations. So they played games in Gunnedah, Port Macquarie, um, Parks, uh, Albury and Alice Springs. So I wonder what the temperature was in Alice Springs for those games. Warm. <laughs> yes, very, very warm. Very warm. Um, I was waiting for to see how long this would take to turn up. February 10, Cronulla President Peter Yao has planned to inject $1 million of his own money into the Cronulla Leagues Club. Far out. It's... Uh... You know, a rugby league season's around the corner when Cronulla has a plan to save itself. Yeah. They're broke again. Here's some more cash. How funny is it that that is probably... And the poor bugger. Like, he he was the head of Cronulla for a long time. But that's (laughs) probably not the moment that he will be remembered for. Like, he putting into his own pocket and giving the club a million bucks. Yeah, no, he's... uh... If, if anyone doesn't know, he's best remembered for cutting up a Dragons fan's jumper with a pair of scissors. Mm. It's yeah. unfortunate. It's unfortunate. Accident. Yeah. We'll call it an accident. Yeah. <laughs> These scissors just fell. He was trying to fix it. Yeah. And to be <laughs> fair, you know. Yeah. These things happen. Yeah. Um, February 11. The heat controversy continues with Dr. Peter Fricker, Director of Medicine at the Institute of Sport, saying that the uh, New South Wales Rugby League is flirting with danger by playing matches in extreme conditions. The league hit back at the heat controversy with Ken Arthurson explaining, the fact is, if it wasn't for the two-ish challenge, they'd be playing trials at the same time of the day for nothing instead of competing for $700,000 in prize money. I'd just like to say, you didn't really read the room too well there, Ken. I don't know. I kind of like it. I like the because Ken Arthurson, him running the game, 
And look, there were some things he, he wasn't good at reading the room at. But I kind of do miss having somebody that is the head of the sport that every time they open their mouth, you don't feel like it's been run through a committee, you know? He, yeah. I mean, basically, Ken Arthurson's like, get stuffed. Um, also on that same day, Alan Langer's controversial tackling style is in the news again after Martin Bella is injured during a match in Brisbane. Yes, yeah, so for people that don't know, the rule is that if you've got a hand on a play, you can use your legs. To, and there was a lot of controversy at the time that Alan Langer's style was basically tripping, which is, I mean, back then it even it was a send-off straight away. Yeah, and it was pretty blatant tripping, but at the same time, you've got to look at the the size difference that he was giving away. Yeah. And uh, the th- I think the thing that really got people was that he was dead set tripping players and putting a hand on them while he did it. Yeah. You know, it wasn't like he was wrapping them up and using his legs or anything like that. No, and, he just took uh, his leg out. And how he didn't get his leg broken more is an absolute bloody mystery. Yeah, it's, it's kind of crazy that there weren't a bunch of broken legs out of it. Yeah. Um, because yeah, he was he was flat out tripping players and and doing it with, like with a hand on like their, you know, the hip as he did it. It was that's and that's why it was controversial. Yeah, uh, Feb thirteen, St George coach Brian Smith and Illawarra coach Graham Murray ban Channel Nine commentator Steve Roach from sideline talks during the Challenge Cup competition because of Roach's involvement on the South Sydney coaching staff. Oh wow, that's that's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> what would he have got, do you reckon, being on the sideline? I can't think of much. No, especially not in those games. No. Um, February 14th. So this is three days after the big chat about heat stress. Mm-hmm. The, the the league promised to finance immediate medical research into the effects of heat stress on players and offer to switch challenge matches from day to night starts. Okay, well, at least they've responded in some way. Yeah. Um, February 15, New Zealand League President and former Kiwi coach, uh, so the League President Trevor Maxwell and former Kiwi coach Graham Lowe placed a proposal before the league to stage a New Zealand State of Origin game in 1994. Man, Rugby League, there's always, at least they had a proposal, hey? Like, that's as close as I've ever heard New Zealand coming to having an Origin series of their own. Like, that's the that's the biggest step they ever made. And that's it. A proposal. Yeah. Um, February 18. After David Gillespie became the first player to be sent to the judiciary um, for a tackle on Mario Fennick, the, the judiciary comes under fire when they find that Gillespie is guilty and they hand him a, in quotation marks, meaningless suspension until the day before the first Winfield Cup match of the year. So, therefore, Gillespie missed no significant football. Okay. And I guess that was probably... When did they go from doing it as weeks to games? Oh, that's a good question. I feel like it it was weirdly not that long ago. No, it was more of a recent thing. Yeah, because for people that don't know, there was a point where... um, Steve Roach got banned. And I, you knew exactly where I was going. Yeah. You know, I haven't said yeah. It. Steve Roach was banned. And it, I believe at the time it was four games. 
or it yeah, was, it was interpreted in... that way. And so he tried to go and play games. He tried to go and sign a contract to play for a club, for, and I don't remember the club in England, and sit on the sidelines not playing in an effort to come back, I believe, for a finals matches. That's right. So he got suspended in, it might have been the playoff in 88. Mm. And, yeah, he got, I think it was four weeks, which meant um, he would, if, if Balmain, by some miraculous miracle, which they managed to achieve, made it to the grand final, he'd miss all the games. So the idea was, we'll send him over to England, we'll get him signed up to a contract, and the every week that would go by, he would miss one Balmain game and one game for his English team. And it's so kind of genius. It would really? only take two weeks for him to serve out his four-game suspension, and then he could come back. So you just get a two-week holiday over in England, and he comes back, and he's ready for the last two games of the final series. Yeah, and it, and it <laughs> the, the league, the league poo-pooed the idea. Yeah, it didn't work. And you know what? I kind of feel like that might have been the point where they went from games to weeks, and then it was changed back. It where... could have been around there. I haven't actually looked into that, but that's a very good question. It kind of makes sense that at that point, doesn't it? Yeah. Because yeah. he wasn't the first. There were a Was few there others who did that. that did it? Really? Uh, there were quite a few players, I think, who, who did that from time to time, especially when it was around finals time. See, I don't remember that. I, I, I mean, do you remember the absolute, like, meltdown that happened when he did that? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Everyone's blowing up. You can't do that. That's cheating. You know well, it's not yet. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not yet. <laughs> but yeah, um, the Broncos claim that the league is victimising Alan Langer by making its own interpretation of the international board's new tackling rule. Now, just mm-hmm. to give people a bit of an idea, since about 1992, there's been this growing discontent between the Broncos and the league. And so every time... Any sort of contentious thing came up and involved the Broncos. The Broncos immediately said, oh, some sort of conspiracy against us. Yeah, and it's something that, I mean, it used to be very much, and look, it still is at times, it used to be absolutely massive in State of Origin, Mm. where the Queensland team and Queensland Rugby League basically felt like they were victims of a lot of decisions that went against them against them from the powers that be in Sydney. And then when the Broncos come into the competition, obviously at, at first they're, you know, shiny and new and everyone loves, you know, having this new team, this Queensland team in the New South Wales Rugby League comp. But then it didn't take too many seasons where the Broncos, they knew they were the most powerful team in the league. They knew they were the richest team in the league. They knew that, and keep in mind, this is just after they've won back-to-back titles with superstars all across their, their team and they did it was it was something that had it, it had kept building where they felt hard done by for a lot of different reasons and this sort of thing it was like now there were it wasn't just the big issues they had problems with it was the little ones as well and it was that discontent as you said that just it just snowballed it certainly did and we know what happened when it exploded mm which we'll discuss in another episode not too far away. Mm-hmm. Um, February 27, former 
uh, league grand final referee Darcy Lawler passes away in Sydney at the age of 75. Oh, wow. Uh, Darcy Lawler refereed uh, one of the more contentious grand finals between St. George and West. I feel like it's 63 or 64. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's played in the mud. And that's when the... I think that's the one when the uh, the the picture was taken that became the Winfield Cup statue. And, you know, what's the NRL trophy now mm-hmm. of Proven and Summons? The Gladiators picture. That's the one. And there was a moment apparently in the game where one of the St. George players got tackled. The West players swear that they heard the referee say that, you know, the tackle was completed or held. Then the St. George player just got back up to his feet and ran off down the sideline and scored the try, which won mm-hmm. the game. And the referee said, I didn't say anything. And there was suggestions that the referee put money on St. George to win the game. Yeah, and West players for decades after that were absolutely filthy. Like, I remember, um, what was his name? Uh, the, the other player in the Gladiators. What was his name? Progan or Summons? Summons. That's oh, it. Yes. Um, Arthur Summons. He, uh, I remember him at, I believe it was a Dally M thing, and it was brought up in a roundabout way, like obviously not directly. And the mood of the room changed because he was still filthy about it. <laughs> yeah. Um, British club Wigan make history by tying 12-year-old Daryl Lacey to the club. He will not be allowed to turn professional until the age of 17. Wow, that was a, that was back when they um, were developing players, I guess. I need to see if he actually made it into first grade. That what was his name, Darren Lacey. Daryl Lacey. Daryl Lacey. I don't. He did. Lacey. How how many games did he play? Not much. Yeah. So he played for Oldham in two thousand and one and Lancashire Lynx in two thousand and four. Wow, that'd be interesting. I wonder if we could find him and interview him. Yeah, that'd be pretty amazing. Mm. Never know. Um, so now we're moving into March. Um. March 2, Rugby League Week reports of rumours of a breakaway competition as relations between the Broncos and the New South Wales Rugby League continue to deteriorate. The centre of the dispute surrounds the Broncos' decision to sell 20% of their company to Northern Rivers Holdings, a company listed on the stock exchange and chaired by Broncos boss Paul Morgan. Yeah, and uh, it was interesting because... A lot of people feel that 95 is the Super League season, but it was all definitely in the background in the 94 season. And weirdly enough, it was something that um, didn't come through in the media of the game. Like, it wasn't something that everyone was talking about, but it was being talked about in the background. Yeah. Um, it just sort of simmered along for quite a while. Mm. Um. See what else is on here. Uh, Eastern Suburbs winger Shane Werrett wins a prestigious rugby league sprint race from Canterbury's Brett Dallas and Balmain Shane Russell. Former St. George great Rod Reddy wins the Golden Oldie Sprint. Whatever <laughs> happened to the league sprint race? That was a classic for a long time. We don't have it anymore. Yeah, I've never understood why they don't make it a thing even on grand final day or something because... 
it would be super exciting. Yeah, imagine the people they could put in it today. Do you remember the disappointment when we had so many like players that were super, super fast and it ended up the quickest one was where it... Like, it was kind of very disappointing to a lot of people. It's like when uh, Leo and Ryan beat Martin off here. Was, yeah. Just like, that wasn't supposed to happen. Everyone was sad about that. Um, here's a good one. March 8th. Perth Western Reds confirmed that they will field a team in the South African National Comp in 1995 in a bid to corner the market on playing talent there. Based in Pretoria, the team will be called the Eastern Reds. I don't remember that at all. That's incredible. I wonder if that actually ended up happening, though. Yeah, I'm... I must admit, I don't remember that one either. No. Um, March 11. New South Wales Rugby League General Manager John Quayle predicts a $100 million turnover for the league in 1995 on the eve of the 94 season. That's incredible. God, that's big money. That really... I mean, and that's back in 1994... That's something that uh, I would suggest Super League isn't doing now. I know that the Australian Rugby Union wouldn't be doing that right now. No. And just, uh, just insane money. It really was. Yeah. Um, March 13. Newcastle's Andrew Johns makes a dream first grade debut, although it was actually his fourth game. Scoring 23 points for his team. Everyone talks about the fact that he scored 23 points on debut. Mm -hmm. He played three games in 1993, albeit all of them were off the bench, but there was three games in 1993. So if we're talking about debut, no, he didn't. Yeah, and it's weird that that still gets perpetuated. Like, I understand why, because it's a good story, especially yeah. considering the player who became, but... Yeah, I like it when uh, we are actually accurate with history, and I like that you um, you try and correct the record. Oh, you got it. I, I, I've I've known that, I've heard about that one all the time. Mm -hmm. Add it to one of the list of myths and legends that goes on in the game. Definitely. Um, March sixteen, Canterbury resigned centre Matthew Ryan from Coffs Harbour. Okay, I don't remember Matthew Ryan, hey? Oh, he's a pretty good centre. Yeah. I was just going to say, the less we say about Canterbury Coffs Harbour, the best. Yeah, probably for the best, yeah. Um, Manly Chief Executive Frank Stanton denies the axing of Kiwi Imports Gene Namu and Daryl Beasley was due to the club overspending its salary cap. And <laughs> State of Origin referee David Manson is dropped to reserve grade for missing a crucial incident in the Brisbane versus Parramatta game. I wonder what it was he missed. Wow, they dropped David Manson. David Manson would have been definitely a top three uh, oh, yeah, definitely. referee, if definitely. not the best. Like, interesting. Um, March 18, Gold Coast produced the first big upset of the 94 season with a stunning 25-12 to 12 win over Brisbane at Carrara. That would have been massive. That was back when they were called the... Uh, Seagulls as well. Yeah. Were they still coached uh, by, I think, were they coached by Wally Lewis? In 94? Yeah, let me have a look. Gold Coast, Seagulls. Coach. Uh, no, no, John, John Harvey. Harvey. Yeah. yeah. Okay. 
Um, March 20, Canterbury prop Martin Bella unleashes a tirade at the league's drug testing procedures after he's detained late into the night after training to produce a urine sample. Far out. I don't remember that one. I'm going to take you to take a piss, Marty. I know. Just drink some water, dude. Yeah, mate. Just hook in. Have a few beers. Exactly. March 21, Mark Guy is released from the final year of his contract with Balmain after repeated disciplinary problems. Uh, Mark Guy's career in this 93-94 period was... It was literally a mess, and there's a lot of reasons behind it. Um, Without going into it too much, I mean, he had a few problems with the Panthers, which is why he left there abruptly. Um, Some of that could actually be stemmed to the loss of his very good friend, Ben Alexander, when he passed away. Um, And he just... I, I think, I mean, we'll obviously get him on and ask him, but from from a fan standpoint, when I was watching him there, I was so excited when he came to Balmain. But watching him play, it looked like the passion for the game had disappeared from him. And he was just going through the motions. Yeah. And at this period, there was a little bit of um, toing and froing going on between Balmain and the Western Reds and Penrith over Mark Guy and what he was going to do for 94 and 95. And so I think in the end, Bowman just said, we're not going to bother with this anymore and just cut him. Yeah, and that's, uh, I mean, as a Panthers fan, and it's going to be interesting to talk to him about it, and we don't want to go down a, a sad road with him either because we just don't want to. But no. f- for me, when I look back, and you've got to remember, he was an Australian player and he was a, a state of origin player. And I think he'd felt left down, let down by selectors and a lot of people in those setups by the, the the instructions he was given and the way they wanted him to play. And he went out and played exactly how they asked him and then sort of turned on him when he did. Um, and then obviously with everything that had happened at Penrith and he was looking for a, a change going to Balmain. And then when that didn't work out, it just feels like a, it might be a, a sad moment in his life more than anything and yeah. it come through in his football. And thankfully, uh, in 95, he did go to the Western Reds and I would suggest that he would say it might have been the best thing he's ever done in terms of his career anyway. Because, I mean, he still goes over to Perth for events yeah. and stuff like that and is the biggest supporter of having a Perth team in the comp and always has been. He has, yeah. Uh, the following day, Balmain released Jason Sinclair. Um, officials reject suggestions of disharmony at the club. You've only lost two first graders in two days. Yeah, there's nothing going on there. Yeah. yeah. Now, did Jason Sinclair go to South? Yeah, he did. Yeah, okay. He was actually around this period too, um, regularly talked about as being a potential origin player. Mm. And I think he was drafted in as a... Um, emergency reserve in might have been the 93 Origin Series. Yeah, he was there or thereabouts. A very good, uh, when he was at, at, at the best of his form, he was a very handy first grader. Yeah. So, yeah, he was, he's one of those ones you kind of remember. And it's weird, he's one of those ones you remember. But history, and I don't mean this in a bad way, but history really only remembers the superstars. And so players like Jason Sinclair sometimes get left out of that. And yeah. so it's cool to talk about them, like in Absolutely. episodes like this. I love it. Um, 
March 24, the league announced plans to conduct random audits on clubs to target players receiving unearned benefits from sponsors, licensed clubs, and supporters. Third-party payments. Yep, third-party payments. Yeah. This and is only four years after a salary cap's come in, they decided to start looking into that. Yeah, <laughs> that's pretty funny, hey? And this is definitely in, like, the heyday of r- rumours that players uh, had certain poker machines that they would get money from yes. or that wives or girlfriends would be bar staff on gigantic salaries, um, which is something that went on over in England quite a bit. So this is in that, that's in, this is in the prime era of that in Australia. Yes. Um, March 27. Alice Flint is elected to the Gold Coast Football Club Board of Directors. She's the first woman to hold such a post. Nice. That was a long time before a lot of the um, the the stuff we've seen in recent years. Yeah. No one mentions it. Uh, March 30, speculation of the future of Mark Guy continues after the Penrith board declared they would welcome him back provided he was a free agent. Now, what I recall from this period, so this may be wrong, but from what I recall in this period, he had agreed to terms with the Western Reds for the 95 season. Mm -hmm. at the start of, or maybe at the end of 93 or the start of 94. Mm -hmm. Um, When Balmain released him, Penrith said, we would be happy to have you back. We can't offer you much money in the first year, but would be a back-ended contract so long as you agree to sign for three years. Mm -hmm. We will give you the right amount that you, you should have, but you'll get most of it in the second and third seasons. And... It meant that Guy would basically be paying for next to nothing in 94, but on huge money for 95, 96. And he only wanted a one-year contract with Penrith. He just wanted to play 94 with them and then go to Western Reds. He was committed to the Reds. He was definitely going to go there. So he didn't want to sign the three-year deal with Penrith. He just wanted one year there. And they didn't want to have a bar of that either because they couldn't afford him because of their cap pressures. Yeah, and I, I kind of see all sides of that. <clears throat> yeah. Like, that's one of those things where no one's in the right or wrong. It's just the situation. Yeah, they'll try and, I think, when you look at it, I think Penrith are doing their best to try and help him out, but at the same time, mm-hmm. there's only so much they could have done. Yeah. I guess when you look at it from the Penrith point of view as well, if they <clears throat> were worried that maybe his the, the troubles were going to follow him to Penrith if they then were able to cut him in 94, they maybe wouldn't have had to have paid out the last two years of his contract at that yeah. time. Because this is back when um, the Players Association was basically non-existent. So, That's right. Like, you know, players' protections for their their uh, salaries were a bit different back then. Uh, April 2, North Sydney's mascot is marching the sideline at North Sydney after... Sydney Oval, after allegedly abusing a touch judge during the Bears versus Penrith match. Yeah, and Barney. Barney the Bear sent from the Barney ground. The and he was uh he was the the team manager, the oh sorry, the uh field operations manager for the New South Wales rugby league at the time, a bloke called Eric Cox. He um he had him ejected from the ground. And then South Sydney, they banned him for a month from being on the sideline. 
Now, I can't remember Barney the Bear causing that much trouble. That was more something that Captain Charger liked to do in a few years later up on the Gold Coast. Um, former New Zealand coach Graeme Eady threatens to force Australian clubs to release players for a New Zealand State of Origin-style game. That didn't go down too well. Yeah, that it didn't happen. Uh, April 9, Brad Godden, uh, Knights player, lands himself in hot water after getting involved in the play while he was on his way to the sin bin. He was subsequently fined $1,000 by the judiciary. I think what happened was, as he was coming off the field, the opposition team took a quick tap, and, and they was... ran towards where he was, so he decided to make the tackle. Yeah, and I, from memory, it was almost a reflex action by him. Yeah. You know, it wasn't like he... It, it just was a reflex, you know. They ran at him, and he sort of, he, you know... They, he wrapped them up. <laughs> uh, April 10. The Sunday Telegraph declares that South Sydney manager Alan Jones has put together a $7 million rescue package for the club. Okay. And, th- like, this is at a time when South Sydney is dying. Like, they're literally dying. They've been and also ran for forever at this point. They had a bit of a... a peak in 89 i guess where they come back for a little while and then just fell off a cliff again and souths are in real trouble at this point um completely unloved and it was very sad to see yeah um western reds coach peter Mulholland confirms mark guy will play for the perth club in 1995 yeah good good signing good move for him absolutely um april 12 Canterbury denied Darren Smith's relegation from the starting lineup is related to his failure to meet a deadline for signing a new contract. And the very next day, Peter Moore says Darren Smith is no longer part of the club's plans for 1995. Yeah, well, you know, it's the family club, unless you do something they don't like, and then you're out. Yep. Uh, April 13, Bowman signed Great Britain Test winger John Bentley for the remainder of the 94 season. Now, I don't remember John Bentley. I remember him playing for Balmain. I don't remember him being anything fantastic. Like, he wasn't bad, but he wasn't exactly, I don't know, world-class. Yeah, yeah. I um, guess that's uh, that sums up the vast majority of English wingers not called, you know, Offia. <laughs> this is right. Um, Michael Hancock rejects an offer from the Crushers to sign before re-signing for two more seasons with the Broncos. And Mark Guy confirms that he will join the Western Reds in 95. Isn't it funny that with a lot of these contract moves, very soon none of it matters. Yeah. April 17, Canberra Chief Executive Kevin Neal reveals that the club has held talks with Mark Guy and may sign him for the remainder of the 94 season. Whoa. Man, can you imagine if he'd played for the Raiders? Yeah, put him in that side. My God. I wonder why that didn't go through. Um, Yeah, don't know. What have we got here? The league formulate plans to restructure the salary cap by adopting an assessment system for Winfield Cup players. And April 18, the Western Reds, South Queensland Crushers and North Queensland Cowboys are formally accepted into the 1995 competition. That's awesome. 
It was so exciting too. Do you remember when they announced they were all going to be part of the competition to four new teams and from such different areas? It, it was just such an exciting time for the game. Yeah. Um, April 22, the Knights launch an art union in a bid to seize uh, to ease crippling debts. The Knights hope to raise more than a million dollars from the sale of the tickets. I don't remember that. <laughs> no, I wonder who won the house. Well, I do say it's a house that they were selling. It's a good question. <laughs> um, East former rugby union international Brian Smith announces his retirement from rugby league to concentrate on his career in advertising. <laughs> that was a massive moment for the game. <laughs> it was. Um, the New South Wales Rugby League announced an overhaul of their judiciary system following criticism of decisions made by the tribunal. Chairman Vince Bruce will be granted power to cite all players involved in cases before the tribunal. Okay, okay. I, I don't really understand what that change means, but you know, there you go. It's a good thing. <laughs> um, West forward Darren Brown is released from the club for discipline reasons and is immediately snapped up by Penrith literally minutes later. Oh, that's kind of strange. <laughs> uh, I don't like moves like that. <laughs> yeah, I don't remember sounds... Darren Brown. I don't remember him at all. But, uh, yeah. He must have known. Whatever he did, he must have been like, I'm gone here. You've got to get me a contract somewhere else. <laughs> Makes you wonder how much of that like he, he had to have gone to Penrith and told them that, you know, he was looking at leaving. Yeah, they were like, what did you do? Oh, man. Okay, we'll sign you. <laughs> um, May 3. West second row Stephen Kearney announces he has signed a two-year deal with the Auckland Warriors. And he was, uh, he was a hot commodity back then. Like He was a, a very young back player. Yeah, very good player. Um, people probably forget that he was playing for Wests early on in his career. And um, it was a bit strange the way that they put together that Auckland Warriors team. They tried to get a lot of star players and it, it felt like it felt like they did a good job, but almost as though team chemistry was completely absent from the club. Yeah. There was something that was completely missing. Everything on paper looked like a juggernaut, but there was something missing. Um, May 5, Balmain veteran Benny Elias announces he'll retire at the end of the year. Yeah, and he was still playing good footy too. Yeah, he was in pretty good form. I think he played... Did he play Origin in 94? I feel like he did. Uh, yeah. let, me, let me pull it up. I'll, I'll pull this up just now. I'm almost certain that he did. I'll go to the first game of the series. Yeah, he did, yeah. So, yeah. There you go. So he's, he's gone out on a high. Mm. Um, May the 8th, a glandular fever scare disrupts preparations for East Clash with Illawarra. After, consult, after consultations with medical experts, the game is allowed to proceed. Then we've got... The Sunday Telegraph reveals that Canberra Centre Ruben Wiki has signed two contracts for 1995. Now, did he sign for the Warriors? Yeah, one with the Raiders and another for the Warriors. Yeah. (laughs) I remember that one, actually. 
And uh, once again, funnily enough, none of it matters in about six months from now. <laughs> yeah. Um, same day, Manly signed rookies Daniel Gartner and Stephen Menzies to three-year contracts. Oh, wow. That two, two amazing back rowers. Oh, yeah, absolutely. People, there's um, another one, Daniel Gartner. He, uh, his career was cut short by injuries. I think he had leg injuries and things like that. Yeah. But fantastic player. I'll chuck another place. one in there, actually. Nick Kosef. Yeah. yeah. He might have been... Well, who would you who would you compare Nick Kosef to now? Oh, that's a good question. God, he was a damn good player. He really, really was. And it's such a shame that his career was cut short. Mm. Um, how much we got here? Gold Coast with another big upset this time, an eight-four victory over Canberra. Oh wow! Um, May the tenth, Brisbane CEO John Rebo calls for fines of a hundred thousand dollars to be imposed upon clubs who approach players who are contracted to rival clubs mid-season. <laughs> oh my goodness! I can't <laughs> believe that one. Like, first of all, John Rebo's calling for, for fines like that because he knows he's really got the only club that could pay them fines, first of yeah. all. And second of all, I mean, it might not even be six months from now that he is he's at the centre of it. We're going to do that. We're going to do that episode in the next couple of days. We're going to yeah. do it today. But we wanted to just do a little bit more research and just – and, and – prepare a little bit more for it because it's going to be a very long episode um, but it's coming up and we're primed for it absolutely um may 12 the governor of the reserve bank bernie fraser accepts a position on the league's three-man salary cap committee yeah he's a hard hitter is it good get yeah um the Telegraph Mirror reveals that the Canterbury Club is paving the way for private ownership by sending letters of intent to potential investors. Oh, wow, well, I don't remember that one. But what was what you're starting to see here is a lot of clubs are trying to find ways to, to shore up their financial um, stability long-term. Yeah, especially um, Sydney clubs. And a lot of them at this time were manoeuvring because they could see the writing on the wall. When the New, when the New South Wales Rugby League, that very quickly, quickly it did, turned into basically the ARL, um, when they decided that they were going to bring in the four extra teams, the whole point was that we're going to bring in these teams and a bunch of Sydney clubs are going to die off. Like, that was literally the plan. So these you, you're starting to see Sydney clubs there looking to their future and getting away from the, the chook raffle days into being modern businesses. Yeah. Um, May 15, popular commentator Daryl Eastlake is sacked from Channel 9 State of Origin coverage. I don't know what he did. Yeah, I wonder, because he used to be the voice of State of Origin. Oh, yeah. And made it and was as much a, a, about making it popular as even the players were. I mean, that's how integral he was to it. So, yeah, I wonder what happened there. Don't know. Um, May 17. 
New South Wales Central Coast Club Yamina signed Mark Guy for the remainder of the season. Yeah, the Yamina yeah. Barneys. I I heard this mentioned. It might have been might have been Paul Kent on one of the Matty Johns podcasts, and he said that he was playing for a team in the same competition that Yamina was in mm-hmm. while he was still working as a journo, mm-hmm. and. He'd written an article that had been critical of Mark Guy a few weeks prior. And he said, I then had to come up in a game against Mark Guy in that competition there. And he said, he, he gave me that look like he wanted to absolutely kill me. And he ran out there and just absolutely nailed me time and time again. And I went, I wish that game was recorded. I know, hi. It'd be <laughs> interesting. Can you imagine knowing you'd pissed off Mark Guy? And you know that he's coming after you. And then you look across the field and he's just staring you down. And it's like, oh, he really is coming after me. That would be absolutely terrifying. That's insane. And by um, the way, he's doing it playing for your minor. He isn't doing it with TV cameras everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> you get all sorts of shit out there. Oh, jeez. Um. Former test winger Eric Groth announces he will make a comeback for Group 7 club Milton Aladala. There was talk. He was then. Good question. There was talk too um, around this time. It might have even been a few years earlier that he'd been approached by Balmain to go and play for them. It might have been 1992 that went on. Really? It's funny because they feel like those Eels players, they feel like a completely different era to 1994. But this isn't too much longer after Peter Sterling retired, Brett Kenny, you know, it's yeah. really, really close to the end of their careers. Um, yeah, Groth retired in 1990 at the age of 30. So he was yeah. 34 when he made this comeback. Yeah, far out. Um. May 18, we're in State of Origin talk now. Okay. Queensland choose Bill Harrigan as referee for the opening Origin clash at the SFS. The Maroons' nomination draws heavy criticism from former referee Barry Gummersall, who said, the QRL has lost its guts. They're being dictated to. That's a very... First of all, why does Queensland get to appoint the referee? That's my first question. And the second question... I mean, Bill Harrigan back then was controversial. I don't feel as though you could say back then Bill Harrigan was definitely the best referee in the game. No. Uh, It it was an interesting choice. I wonder why they they wanted him to control the game. And Barry Gummersall. I mean, Barry Gummersall isn't going to like it unless a bloody Queensland is controlling the game anyway. Bloody red to quote he was at that point. And good luck to him. I love yeah. it. I would not change a thing about him, by the way. I no. love it. Um, Bradley Clyde is ruled out of New South Wales team for the opening origin counter as he suffered from a foot injury. Now, Bradley mm. Clyde at this point is one of the world's best players. It, I would still consider him in terms of a lock, and he was probably the last true great lock that we had in the game, I would suggest. Yeah, he I carried thought, the, that legacy that Wayne Pierce sort of took on when he took yeah. over from Ray Price, where the lock was um, much more fitter 
and much more capable, especially defensively. Yep, yep. Got through a lot of work. Uh, he he was very uh, mobile, great athlete. Had a great ball runner. In him. Yeah, great, yeah. great hole runner. Um, and, yeah, one of the world's best players at the time. Absolutely. May 23, a try described by the Sydney Morning Herald as the try from hell. Robert New South Wales of victory in the Origin opener. That would be bet... the miracle try that I wrote a poem about. <laughs> yeah. Um, I feel like if we took a minute, we could probably both do this the call that Ray Warren did. <laughs> like, do you remember watching that game? Yeah, I do. Yeah, that was horrible. <laughs> That that last minute was the longest minute. It ever. really was. It really was. And like, Noosa, like we had it. We'd won the game, and that was really just oh man, it was so horrible. It was uh, May twenty five. The Telegraph reveals a Gold Coast player served an eight week suspension after testing positive to the use of steroids. Doesn't say who which player it was. Mm, wow. I don't remember um, that. Here's an interesting one. May 27. Wayne Bennett calls for the implementation of a second referee to improve the refereeing standards. <laughs> and I would say right now that clearing up the ruck would have helped Brisbane to no end. And mm. that is the only reason he would say that, to help exactly right. his team. Um, same day, Broncos CEO John Rebo claims the league's new salary cap means... Four internationals will have to leave his club. Wow, yep. wow, wow. Will he be all right? A club that brought in the likes of Glenn Lazarus when they needed a forward? I hope, Hopefully they're all right. Yeah, I reckon they'll get by. Yeah. Um, the league reveals details of the 95 Premiership draw. The Warriors will kick off the new competition against Brisbane at Mount Smart Stadium. I remember that game too. Remember them running out the tunnel? Yeah. This is pretty cool. It certainly was. Um, Brett Mullins and Dean Pay according to the State of Origin team for the second game in place of Rod Wishart and David Gillespie. Martin Bella is relegated from Queensland's lineup after 19 consecutive games in a Maroons jersey. And Saints' Gordon Tallis is the new fresh reserve. Ooh, Wow. So it's interesting that Mullins come into the side because, um, I mean, 94 was Mullins' year. He was unbelievable. Yeah. So the origin selectors chose for game one to stick with the the team they had in 93 pretty much, which meant Balmain, who I think had only had, a, at that point, only one win in seven games or eight games. They had both Ben Elias and Tim Brasher playing in the origin side. Mm-hmm. Um, Brasher deserved to be there. Yeah, ben and the Brasher Elias... was like, he was one of those proper origin players. Like, you got a 9 or a 10 out of Tim Brasher at origin level every single time. Yeah. Oh, he was just, yeah. Like like Dale Shearer and Wally Lewis, you put him in an important game mm-hmm. and his performance just increased tenfold. Mm-hmm. 
Um, with it, just with that second origin, uh, because Brett Mullins ended up coming in as the winger for that second origin game. Yep. And just looking at the back line for the Blues, and it's like Tim Brasher, Andrew Erdinghausen, Brad Fittler, Paul McGregor, and Brett Mullins. What a back line that is. Jesus Christ. That's incredible. And they were up against, how about this one, Julian O'Neill, who at the time, how would you describe Julian O'Neill? He was like a Cameron Munster in terms yeah. of his ability and his his playmaking and stuff, but he was probably a little, a little bit more athletic. Um, so Julian O'Neill, uh, Michael Hancock, Mal Meninga, Mark Coyne, and Willie Kahn. Not yes. that. And Steve Renoff was not there because he was suspended after a, a high tackle a few weeks beforehand. Wow. Imagine having him in there instead of Coyne. But then again, Coyne scored that miracle try. Yeah. And like, I mean, Mark Coyne's an origin legend for that moment, but he was also a very good player. Yeah, he was no, no mugby. And even his club career as well. Yeah. Um, and I tell you what, he knows where to go on a night out too. Oh, yeah. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Know what I mean? Know what I mean? <laughs> June 1, champion Wigan side steal Brisbane's title as world champions with a 20-14 victory in the World Club Challenge match at Brisbane's ANZ Stadium. The game is watched by a crowd of more than 54,000. Um, yep. Queensland coach Wally Lewis blasts the performance of referee Greg McCullum in the game, labelling one of the worst displays he'd ever seen. Oh, jeez. I don't remember the refereeing being an issue, but, I mean, to have Brisbane lose in Brisbane, we can come over and we're the best team in the world. That's all yeah. it was. I mean, they come into our backyard, middle of the season, and beat the Broncos, and that was it. There was there was no way around it. Um, June 2, Great Britain CEO Morris Lindsay suggest future World Club Challenge games may be played in Hong Kong. Yeah, there's been a lot of weird rumours about the World Club Challenge over the years. Morris Lindsay, he's another one that, if you're a little bit younger, you don't realise the weight that Morris Lindsay had as an administrator in rugby league. I dare say, at this point, he is the most powerful person in rugby league. What do you reckon? Yeah. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd say that because um, it's worth noting the English game was, as as I said at the start, it was, I mean, for a long time, it had been the premier competition. And it, mm. in 94, the, the New South Wales Rugby League is the closest it's ever been to parity, I guess, with the English competition. Mm-hmm. And if it had not been for the Super League war, I dare say that, the, the takeover would have happened probably a little bit more quickly in 95. That sort of split ranks a bit. and It, it happened, happened anyway in 96, 97. Yeah, and the thing about Morris Lindsay, like, this was probably the height of his power in uh, the game, but he was still wielding that power up to 2001, which we talked about a little bit um, in an episode not too long ago. Um, he ended up moving into soccer. I, th- I think he's still involved in soccer. Yeah. But yeah, and I, I felt like it was a loss for the British game because he was, and, and I, in some ways the British game had to move on from 
having his in, and not really having his involvement, but they needed somebody else to step up. Unfortunately, no one ever has. And yeah, it's interesting to hear Morris Lindsay's name brought up uh, from '94 because yeah, he was the man. He was. Uh, June three. Jack Gibson denies that the the East are interested in New South Wales Origin coach Phil Gould as their first head coach for 1995. Um, the Auckland Warriors signed Wigan's former All Black star Frano Bodica to a two-year contract, and French all-time great Puigo Burr dies at the age of 69. Oh wow! I didn't realise he died in 1994. Yeah, he's uh, a very sad, immense icon. Just to put it in perspective. He was he was the French rugby league what Clive Churchill was to Australian rugby league, and mm-hmm. many people at the time would tell you that they were pretty much equals as far as on field ability. Yeah, he was a. I mean, you you read some of the stories about him, absolutely Flam- incredible, very flamboyant, mm. and um, didn't like to defend at all. Yeah, yeah, just didn't there think was, it was his job. Yeah, that's right. There was a. a a well-known story along the lines of um, a, a reporter asked Puigo Burr one day, why don't you do any tackling? And he says, see all those men up there in front of me? That's their job. I'm just here to do the running around and zipping in and out, scoring all the tries, kicking all the goals. <laughs> <laughs> he knew his and role. The, and the thing was like, and I guess the only player I can really line him up against in terms of rugby league all time and I don't know if you'll agree with me on this, maybe a Jason Taumalolo in the fact that you've got this one player who all of a sudden this entire, this juggernaut is built around and you've got to build, you've got to beat this juggernaut, but then you've also got to beat the individual brilliance of this one player as well that stands alongside the very best that anyone else has. Um, and it's a shame that French Rugby League didn't really get a chance to build on the back of that them French sides that he played in. Yeah. But a real, one of the, I mean, one of, I dare say that if you just go on International Rugby League, hard to say that he's not maybe a top five player of all time just on international games. Because he had made that big of an impact. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. He's definitely up there. Mm. Um June 6, Mal Meninga hits back at critics who claim his form does not warrant selection as captain for the Kangaroos Tour. Meninga said, It's certain sections of the Sydney media which bring it up every year at this stage of the season. Yeah, and that's that Queensland, everyone's out to get me in Sydney. Siege mentality, yeah. Yeah. June 8, an Australian record crowd of 87,161 watched the second State of Origin match at the MCG. I remember that too. That was incredible. I remember the players talking about, and it's kind of weird because, I mean, the the size of that crowd, I'm trying to think when we've had crowds like that in rugby league prior to 1994, they obviously had that one in at Oddsall Stadium, which was, I mean, some people say it was 120,000 people there. Um, yeah. But rugby league, players in Australia had not played in, well this generation hadn't played in front of a crowd like that and I remember them talking about the impact that the just the sheer noise had on them when they ran out Yeah, I think the closest or the, the biggest crowd before that for a rugby league in Australia would have been 
the grand one of the final. grand finals, yeah, yeah, in the sixties where I think sixty five thousand turned up the SCG and they were sitting on yeah. the roof. Yeah, that was the one before that, and then the then it was the state of that state of origin match there, and the next one was the grand final that was played in what would that have been nineteen ninety nine's grand final, yeah, with yeah. the new ANZ Stadium in Sydney, the Olympic Stadium. Yes, when it was at its maximum size. Mm. Um, June 11, Wiggins' Dennis Betts signs a five-year deal with the Auckland Warriors. Yeah, interesting that the Auckland team is looking to Great Britain for forwards. Uh, June 14, Eastern Suburbs appoint Bernie Gurr as CEO for 1995. Mm-hmm. Um, June 15, Paul Langnett quits as Western Suburbs captain. June 17, Bill Harrigan admits there is bad blood between him and the New South Wales camp in the lead-up to the final State of Origin match. Which is interesting because the Queenslanders didn't like him and the New South Wales uh, team didn't like him, which means he was probably doing something right. Yeah. <laughs> His job. Yeah. <laughs> um, June 17 also, the Lang Park Trust announced a major sponsorship deal with the finance company will lead, which will lead to Queensland's most famous rugby league venue being renamed Suncorp Stadium. Now, when we had a look at this before this episode, recording this episode, I think we were both shocked that it's been called Suncorp Stadium for that long. Yeah, I thought it was an NRL era type thing. Yeah, same here. And I guess when you look back at it at this point, they played Origin games there and the South Queensland Crushers played there, which the Crushers didn't have a high profile at all. But you would only see it for Origin and they definitely weren't calling it Suncorp Stadium during Origin games. They were calling it Lang Park. Mm. And so it was only when, really when the Broncos went back to Suncorp Stadium that you kind of started hearing the name come up regularly. So I think that's why we feel as though it's an NRL era name. That's right. Um, here's an issue one I don't remember. June 18, the Telegraph reports Mal Meninga is to be offered a lucrative five-year deal to play out his career with the London Broncos. I don't remember that, hey? Wow. Same. Yeah. Um, and he would have killed it too. Oh, he would have, yeah. yeah it's I worth mean, noting that at that time, too, um, Melmaning was 34 years old when that, that offer was put to him. Oh, he was still in gonna... though. Oh, yeah, he was. Um, June 19, Ben Elias admits he is tempted to shelve retirement plans after receiving offers from two Winfield Cup clubs. I would love to know what clubs they were. Um... Probably Balmain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that would be good to know. Mm. Um, selectors name Australia's team for the one-off test against France on July 6. They stressed that Malmeninga and Anna were not automatic selections. Brett Mullins, Tim Brasher, Paul McGregor and Mark Hone are selected to play their first tests. Wow, Mark Hone was another very, very good forward. Um, I would love to play France mid-season again. They're not strong enough at the moment. It would be very, very one-sided. But, yeah, 
This is rugby league in 1994. They're playing France mid-season. How yeah. cool is that? That'd be awesome. Um, June 25, Bowman coach Wayne Pearce declares the club will make wholesale personnel changes for 95 following the team's 22-6 loss to Illawarra in a poorly attended game at Optus Oval in Melbourne. I think I remember that game when they went down there, hey? Yeah. God knows why I remember it, but yeah. <laughs> June 29. How did this happen? Alan Langer is cleared of a spear tackle on Canberra's David Ferner. How is that even possible? <laughs> How did he do that? Yeah. Man, I'd like to see that tackle. Um, Kerrod Walters is found guilty of a illegal tackle and receives a two-match penalty. The following day, he launches a scathing tirade on the judiciary claiming prejudice against the Broncos and he's backed up by Wayne Bennett and John Rebo, of course. Oh, I'm glad that, yeah, I'm glad that there were some neutrals there to back him up. <laughs> yes. But, uh, the, the, but here's the thing. How many now, like it's starting to get more and more these, uh, oh, they're out to get us, they're out to get us from Queenslanders. Yeah, the siege mentality was very strong up there in Brisbane at the time. Um, July 1, Broncos winger Willie Kahn undergoes brain scans after being heavily concussed in the third state of origin match. Now, in the latter years of Willie Kahn's career, he copped a ton of head-high tackles mm. and a lot of concussions, which had to have been part of the reason why he retired. Yeah, I think he, he did an interview with Andrew Voss um, mm. And it was really interesting. He talked a little bit about the head knocks he got. And I believe that he also was interviewed uh, not that long ago about the concussions and um, and if he had any after effects from it. He ended up going, his career tailed off pretty quickly and he ended up actually playing rugby union for the uh, Queensland rugby union team as well. That's right, yeah. Um. Hooker Kerry Walters has been called before the league's board to explain why he should escape a $10,000 fine for criticising the judiciary. Wow. Sam Burgess taking notes. There you go. Um, Bradley Clyde suffers heavy concussion in the Raiders' 25-10 loss to Norse at Norse in the Oval. The concussion later rules him out of the one-off test against France and his place is taken by North Sydney second rower, David Fairley. Wow, that's interesting. That, uh, what, what you, that was in June or July? Uh, July. Okay, because he ends up having a devastating concussion. I guess it's only about three months later. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, July 3. East President Nick Politis rallies behind him battle coach Mark Murray despite continuing rumours linking Phil Gould with the club. July 4, the next day, Mark Murray is sacked as Eastern Suburbs coach, <laughs> opening the door for Phil Gould to take over in 95. And there's something I want to say about, about Eastern Suburbs. At this point, they're kind of like South Sydney in that they have been an also-ran for as long as people can remember. They're like they're the players that they sign are always at the end of their careers. Like, they're nowhere. They are just a completely different thing to what you see these days. 
They were a rubbish club. Yeah, they were. Um, July 9, the Sydney Morning Herald reveals that an Adelaide consortium are to officially lodge an application to join the competition by 1998. Now, I would love to know who that consortium is and whether, because you said it was a Telegraph, yeah? Uh, Sydney Morning Herald. Sydney Morning Herald, okay. Because I guess at this point, you're starting to get towards manoeuvring by media companies. And so the the stories that are going to start to come out pretty soon are going to be, there's going to be a weight behind them that is self-interest. Absolutely. Um, Same day, referee Bill Harrigan twice sends Penrith coach Phil Gould from the sideline during a heated clash at Caltech's field. Yeah, I remember that one. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone remembers that one. And by the way, Gus has a glorious mullet for that game. It is a thing of beauty. Oh, magnificent. Mm. Um, July 13, Cronulla re-signed sponsors Reebok for the next three years in a $1.5 million sponsorship deal. It's going to save them. Yeah, again. Yeah. (laughs) Um... The Telegraph Mirror reveals North Sydney have been fined $87,000 for breaching the salary cap. Oh, I don't remember that, hey? That's hefty. That is very, very hefty. They had a Um, great season this year, too. No, they were the second best team all year. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. July 15, Bowmate second row Paul Sirinan is tempted by a $500,000 deal to play for Cronulla for two years. I do remember that because there was a, I'm, I vaguely recall that there was suggestions that instead of having the huge money going on, mm-hmm. that Cronulla were, were tempted to consider having Andrew Eddinghausen up and making it a straight swap. Oh, my goodness. I wonder why he didn't pick up that deal then. I think both... Both players were so loyal to their clubs that they yeah. just couldn't see themselves doing it. Yeah. But $500,000 deal in 94. That's incredible. That's insane money. I mean, it's deserved too because Ciro is, he's at his, you know, he's in his peak of his career here and he stayed at this elite level for another two or three seasons mm. and had been for several seasons before as well. He was just one of those blokes who just got to the elite level and just stayed there. Just that, yeah, and he was, um, I mean, one of one of the first picked for any rep team. Yeah. He was just so, so super reliable. He was. Uh, July 18, a marathon meeting between Phil Gould and Bill Harrigan ends with the Penrith Club being fined four grand and Gould apologising to Harrigan. <laughs> <laughs> um I would love to have been there for that, eh? That would have been fantastic. Yeah. Uh, Brisbane hooker Kerribaldus is fined five grand for accusing the judiciary of prejudice. So that's a downgrade from the 10 grand he was first hit with. I tell you what, Craig Bellamy would fall off his chair reading that. (laughs) 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 The league approve a rise in the maximum salary cap to $1.8 million. Big bucks. It's funny. A couple of months from now, none of it matters. Here's an interesting one. 
The International Rugby League Board dispenses a rule that requires referees from neutral countries for test matches. Oh, wow. I wonder why it was put in at that time. It's a very interesting question. Mm. July 19. Phil Gould is officially appointed coach of East for 1995, just 12 hours after quitting from Penrith. Yeah, it was nice. It was nice. They, they definitely look. The whole Penrith club needed changes at that time, um, and, and you could see by the players that had left the club. And I mean, Gould left the club, but I tell you what, he gutted them on the way out. That it's got to be said. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, do you remember who replaced Gould at Penrith? I do because I looked it up earlier. Roy Simmons. <laughs> <laughs> research yeah I did some research interesting thing about Roycey Simmons he coached the Panthers through a very very low time in their history like a, they the next couple of years they had some handy players and stuff around at the club but going into 2000 they had probably their worst teams ever and if not for the coaching of Roy Simmons and the players that he brought through, we do not win the 2003 Premiership. Oh, absolutely. He, was, he did a phenomenal job there. He really did, and a thankless job. You know, yeah. that was something that um, we were lucky to have him at the time, and I don't think it's talked about enough. No, absolutely not. Um, July 20. Eight under-16-year-old players from the Parramatta Junior League are suspended for a total combined 76 weeks after a vicious brawl between Layla Park and Wentworthville Leagues Club. Whoa, jeez. I'd love to see that brawl. The City Morning Herald reports that TV rights to the 1995 World Cup have been snapped up by an American cable network. All right. That's interesting. Yeah. I wonder who they were. <laughs> um, Canterbury coach Chris Anderson attacks the league's judiciary after they find Craig Polamata guilty of abusing a touch judge and suspending him for one week. Okay. Really? Um, July 26. News of a Super League competition resurfaces in the media. League General Manager John Quayle concedes that such a privately run competition is definitely feasible. Yeah. And it, it, I still feel as though it wasn't taken seriously, though, by anyone. No, it was still seen as, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, we've seen this before. Mm, cause, because, and people probably don't realise this, Rugby League has seen this so many times before by this stage. Yeah. And there's been so much talk about it and so many meetings and nothing ever come of it. Um, what's the date? Is this July? July 29. Brett Mullins produces a performance touched with greatness to score four tries in Canberra's 52-16 to hiding of Newcastle. And if I remember correctly, I think three of those were length of the field tries. Yeah, yeah. And like... I remember watching that game and then going to school like the next Monday 
And it was, that's all anybody talked about for about a week. And everyone wanted to be Brett Mullins. And it was, I mean, it was incredible. You watch the highlights now. He absolutely tore uh, Newcastle apart. He was on another planet, like as, as far as skill was. I mean, he was another level to everybody else. Yeah, he really was. And um, one of the best seasons any individual players ever had. Yeah. Incredible. Um, July 31, Balmain forward Danny Stapleton has to be resuscitated in the dressing room after he stops breathing during a game against the Gold Coast. Jeez. I'm pretty sure he, he... He may have actually played the week later. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> uh, August 2, Brett Mullins signs a five-year deal with Canberra. That's what you call capitalising on a good moment. Yeah. <laughs> Just back four tries. Quick, go, let's go talk up another deal. Yeah, exactly. Um, August the 4th, Western Suburbs confirmed the signing of Tommy Radonikas as coach for the next two years. And it was uh, a pretty colourful two years as well. It was, yes. I can't say that he did he did a terrible job because he really had no talent to work with while he was there. Still August level. 9. Statistically yeah. one of the worst clubs in the history of the game while Tommy yes. was there. So, Absolutely. So. August 9, the league announced that one semi-final will be played in Brisbane in 1995. Also... First grade matches will now kick off at 2.30 p.m. instead of 3 p.m. Oh, that's an interesting change. Yeah. Now, what was it that was... We were talking about this with uh, Tony Collins, I believe. What was it that we had our kickoff times from? Was it um, knockoff time or something? Do you remember that conversation we had? Yeah, so... People on Saturdays used to work half a day, so they'd finish at 12 or That's 1 o'clock, it. and it mm. gave them enough time to get home, put on their best clothes for a Saturday, and then get to the game in time for the football to start. Yeah, and that's why we had the, those kickoff times for forever, I, and I never knew that. Yeah. Um, the other thing that came out of that, having because all the semifinals used to be in Sydney in the big stadiums, and that was just the way it was, and placate placating the Broncos a little bit in having one game up there in Brisbane. Uh, it was an interesting move. Obviously, it wasn't enough for Brisbane, uh, but that was kind of the first step in what we have now, which is home finals. Yes. Um, so it's interesting. We're learning about the tiny little, you know, minutiae of details here that most people wouldn't realise, but, you know, a lot of these were happening in 94. Mm. Um, August 16, Balmain announced radical plans to secure the club's future. The Tigers are to be known as the Sydney Tigers and they are to abandon Leichhardt Oval to play their home matches at Parramatta Stadium in 95. Long-serving CEO Keith Barnes is to stand down at the end of 1994. Now, there were, I guess we can talk about this now, there were three teams that decided to change their names. Uh, we had the Canterbury Bulldogs changed to Sydney Bulldogs. We had Eastern Suburbs Roosters changed to Sydney City Roosters. And we had the, obviously, the Balmain Tigers changed to Sydney Tigers. And this is kind of because they see the writing on the wall in terms of what the 
New South Wales Rugby League and ARL is looking for in a national competition. And they had literally said, we, we expect some Sydney clubs to die. So now we're seeing the Sydney clubs all manoeuvring. And I remember that season that the, Bellman, uh, the Sydney Tigers played at Parramatta Stadium was not well received at all by anyone, really. And they uh, quickly changed back. It was crazy, too, because they had a consultant go through. And the consultant found that there were more Balmain fans living closer to Parramatta Stadium than there were to Leichhardt Oval. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, the weird thing for me was that, I mean, they just seemed so out of place. It would have made more sense if they'd played at the SFS to me. Yeah, I think they were just trying to make sure that they didn't force their fans to travel too far, I guess. Yeah. Um, that's what it was all about. But the, the, you know, the, me... real prob- the real problem they had was they were, they were so terrible at the time that yeah. none of it really mattered. No, I mean, so much so that Bellman were looking at relocating out of Sydney and the two areas that were being proposed were the Central Coast and Melbourne. Mm. And we spoke about Melbourne before the game. Like, if they had moved to Melbourne, like if they had announced in 94 they'll move to Melbourne, they'd still be there. Yeah, they would. They'd have been propped up. They'd still be there. And as for West, they would have been taken over by Canterbury. Mm-hmm. Completely swallowed up. Yeah. Um, August 17, General Manager John Quay reveals Canterbury and East have now also applied to change their names to the Sydney Bulldogs and Sydney City in 1995. Um Following day, Greg Alexander confirms he is signed with the Auckland Warriors for 1995. Yeah, and that, that was a move I would suggest he would say he needed a bit of a change to. Yeah, because um, he he drifted out of his normal high form, and you can understand why, the poor bugger. Yeah. Um, they may play their final match at Leichhardt Oval after 60 years at the ground, and they go out losers 22-10 to Penrith. Their final game. Did you just laugh? They did. <laughs> their final game. What a load of crap. I tell you, the the interesting thing is, ground was probably a lot better then than it is now. <laughs> <laughs> like, the stands were out and everything was only about 40 years old by that well, stage. Well, back in those days, too, they didn't have white ants in the in the Norm Latcham Robinson stand. Yeah. They could no actually sit was, in the whole stadium. No one was signing off things like, with things saying, like, concrete cancer and words <laughs> like that. Um... August 22, Newcastle announced that Great Britain coach Malcolm Riley will replace David Waite as their coach for the next two years. Yeah, I'll tell you what, a timely move for him, hey? Oh, absolutely. Um, Canberra launched a bid to sign Commonwealth Games sprinter Horace Dove Edwin from Sierra Leone. I don't remember that at all. But who was he going to move out of the team from knowing Andrew Koo and bloody uh, Ken Nagus. He wasn't yeah. getting in that team. No one in the world except maybe Offie was getting in that team. Yeah, good luck. Yeah. <laughs> um, August 28, 
The Sunday Telegraph reports that Randwick Rugby Union winger Peter Jorgensen signed with East for 95. Yeah, Jorgo. He ended up playing for uh, the Penrith Panthers. Unfortunately, during the end of his Panthers career, was very, very slow player. Um, and was. ended up coaching in the lower grades. I actually had a fa- family member that was uh, coached by him in the lower grades in the Penrith comp. Um, August 29, Bowman hooker Benny Elias decides to not retire and resign with the club for one more year. Nice. Good stuff, Benny. <laughs> August 30, Ellery Hanley is appointed coach of Great Britain. That was a good appointment too. Oh, absolutely. He was... Uh... He just got the he got what the, what it was. He he got the players to invest in how important it was to wear that jumper. Yeah, and I dare say he got. I mean, and he had the talent there, which is the thing. Though, and it all comes down to talent. But the last time that Great Britain probably had a chance. Yeah. Uh, September 2, a serious skiing accident places the future of Penrith fullback Matt Adamson in jeopardy when he damaged both knees in a bad fall. What's he doing skiing? What what, what the hell, man? Skiing mid-season. It's funny that he was a fullback at the time, hey? Yeah, he moved into the second row, didn't he? Yeah, he ended up moving into the second row. He's a big man for a fullback. I'll leave it there. Yeah, you know the other one that was, uh, I'm pretty sure was a fullback at one point, was Joe Nullivar. Yeah, yeah, that's right. It was too. Mm. Um, September 3, a bizarre accident at his home claims the life of Cronulla lower grade forward Ben Lysort. I believe what happened was he was, he got run over by his own vehicle. It was because he was looking for something when a few of his mates were there and the car, they must have bumped the gear stick and put it in reverse, something like that, and it rolled down the driveway and he got hit by it. That's terrible. Um, yeah, absolute freak accident. Mm. Um, David Fairley becomes the first North Sydney player to win the Rothmans medal, recording the highest points tally in medal history. Bookmakers are said to have lost $115,000 after suggestions the name of the winner was leaked. Yeah, and this, this was huge at the time. I remember this. Um and the bookies blew up Deluxe, as they had every right to. And it's interesting if it happened now. Like, I, I believe that they, uh, this was, yeah, it was the New South Wales Fraud Squad, squad looked into this. Um, it was one of those rugby league sort of things, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. <laughs> and this had happened, this started happening a little bit every so often. And I feel like this might have been the final straw for bookies. And yeah. like we've seen them go on and off of what they will and won't place bets on. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, September 9, Balmain re-signed Tim Brasher until the end of 1998. Nice. Good good move. Uh, September 10, the Rothmans medal sting hits the front page of newspapers across New South Wales as fraud squad people, uh, police investigate rumours of a leak. Rumours. Uh, September 11, 
The Sun Herald reports that members of the Starting Price Betting Task Force are investigating claims that a Sydney first grade team bet against themselves in at least one game during the season. I wonder who that was. If it ever come out. Maybe it was Balmain. Tim Pernan's uncle. (laughs) (laughs) Just tossing that up. Just chuck that out there. Um, Run with it, James. (laughs) Um, September 13 A South Sydney sponsorship launch turns ugly when allegations of match fixing are raised by the media Alan Jones admits asking police to investigate monstrous and heinous allegations that several South players had run dead after backing West to win a match on August 14 Wow That's interesting and same day, the Western Reds officially announced Brad Mackay as their captain in 1995. He was a good player, Brad Mackay. He, he was, was a great phenomenal. signing. Yeah. He was one bloke who I did enjoy watching play too as a youngster. Yeah. Um, yeah he, he, should never, he looked like he should never have been playing in the forwards. And yet just, man, the ticker on him was huge. Yeah, and he was another one of those players that, might be forgotten a little bit, but when you would pick like a New South Wales side in particular, you had to have him. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Another one, which was, I think the best term for him is unfashionable, was David Barnhill. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah, um, he was good. Didn't look like much of an athlete, but damn, he, he played well. And was part of that... Um, I mean, North Sydney at, around this time, they had a, a pack that should have been considered one of the great packs of all time. Yeah. And probably isn't because they didn't end up winning a premiership. But like him, Fairley, Florimo, uh, who was the hooker's name? Uh, Mark Soden. Yeah, Soden, that's it, yeah. Billy Moore. Billy Moore in the side, yeah. So many great players. Oh, yeah, it was a damn good side. Um, September 15, former international Paul Vorton admits he was once offered money during the late 80s to ensure Manly lost a game. Well, I don't remember that, but isn't it? It's interesting how there's the door gets opened by the Rothmans medal allegations. And then the media just starts pulling out all these stories. Yes, and here's another one. Here's September 16. The betting scandal continues with allegations that a former international player placed bets of $20,000 on West to beat South in the allegedly fixed game on August 14. Wow. South players John Lewis and Daryl Trindle are interviewed on television current affairs shows over rumours leaking into alleged match fixing. Ben Elias, meanwhile, admits being offered money to run dead in a game in 94. Run dead. It's the mm. latest term, apparently, in '94. Uh, I'm going to look at this bloke's name here because he, I think he might be related to a current player. Okay. And if he's if he's not, then I've just thrown a bad curly. <laughs> uh, just thinking of that that uh, North Sydney team. It's incredible that. That North Sydney side, and there were some great players in that side. Ivan Cleary played for them. Um, Sean Hoppy, uh, Gary Larson we talked about, Billy Moore, 
Tony Ray, who would go on to coach the London Broncos. Matt Sears, who was a youngster, absolutely brilliant at fullback. Uh, Mark Soden. Um, Josh Stewart, I forgot that he played for them. James he, he, was Taylor. A, he, was a, he was a bit of a hothead. Yeah, he was, yeah. <laughs> uh, Jason Taylor was their halfback. Adrian Toole, I forgot about him. Matt Toshak, I forgot about him. Daniel Williams, Craig Wilson. It's great, great team. They, it's incredible they didn't win a, a grand final. Yeah. It's amazing that they weren't. Um, September 19, North fullback Matthew Sears is named Norwich Rising Star of 1994. Yeah, he had a great season. He exploded onto the scene, hey? Yeah. Um, a bookmaking agency confirms former international Dale Shearer placed a $10,000 bet on the match at the centre of the match-fixing investigations. Oh, wow. Rowdy, what are you doing? Yeah. Um, September 20, police call off their investigations into an alleged betting scheme on the Rothmans medal, claiming there is no evidence of any illegalities. I guess that's a good thing. September 21, John Elias and former St. George Captain Michael Beatty are arrested on weapons charges. I remember that. You do? Because I don't. Yeah, I, I remember that. <laughs> um, September 25, Canberra sent Malmeninga out on a winning note with a commanding 36-12 grand final victory over Canterbury. Now, I think it's a good time to talk about the Canberra Raiders and just their overall general club season. Um, Canberra felt like the team to beat throughout this entire year, and it looked like it always looked like it was going to be them in Canterbury. North Sydney had a great, great season, but they were North Sydney. Um, yeah. At this point, Manly were building towards something, and you could see that. Uh, Brisbane had fallen off from the previous year a little bit, but there was obviously a lot going on there. Um, yeah. But yeah, this always, I mean, to me, it always felt like it was Canberra season. Their four and against was ridiculous. Like, they were plus 379 for the four and against. The next best was actually the Manly Seagulls, and they were plus 294. Um, and in that, like... A, Previously, the Canterbury Bulldogs had beaten the Canberra Raiders in a major semi-final. They'd beaten them 19-18. That might have actually gone to extra time, that game, from memory. Because um, I was actually listening to that on the radio, funnily enough. I don't think it was actually shown on TV. Um, but yeah, in the grand final, it was very one-sided. Uh, I remember Martin Bella dropping... I think he might have dropped the kickoff even. Was it the kickoff? Yeah, yeah, it was. And it just was one of those games where it always looked like it was going to be the Canberra Raiders' day, and they ran away with a massive victory. They did. Didn't Uh, somebody, didn't uh, Terry Lamb get knocked senseless in that game as well? I can't remember that. He may well have. I feel like it might have been Terry Lamb got just knocked absolutely senseless. It, it just everything went against the poor old um, Canterbury Bulldogs, and then Mal Meninga scored that 
intercept, runaway try, pushed off Jared McCracken, a young Jared McCracken playing in the centres at that point, scored under the post, gave a fist pump. It was a good time to like the Canberra Raiders back in 1994. Absolutely. Um, September 27, Laurie Daly signs a three-year $500,000 endorsement deal with Nike. Whoa, that's gigantic. Holy crap. Yeah. And same day, Mel Meninga rejects a $1 million offer from the London Broncos and announces he'll remain with the Canberra Raiders in a marketing, promotional, and coaching capacity. Okay. Wow. I wonder I wonder if at that point Mal Meninga knows what's coming around the corner. I mean, he didn't end up jumping onto it, but maybe he knew that there was big money about to be thrown at everyone. Quite possibly, yeah. Yeah. Um, three days after the grand final, the 28-man kangaroo squad flies out of Sydney bound for its 18-match tour of Great Britain and France. Three days, that's very quick. Yeah, no fucking around here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, now, they played on this kangaroo tour, and this was the last real kangaroo tour we had. They played 18 games from the 2nd yeah, was... of, of October to the 4th of December. It was the shortest kangaroo tour at that time. Whoa, that's crazy, hey? Every other kangaroo tour had been at least 20 games and went for, yeah, I think, close to three months. That's incredible. They were wrapping them up usually in the first week of December or you know very late November, but this one was very, very short. And some of the teams they played, they played Cumbria was the first game. They beat them 52 points to eight. I remember uh, they that played... they hammered Sheffield. Yeah, where's the 80... Sheffield? 80 nil or 86 nil or something like that. 80 to 2, they beat Sheffield in front of 7,400 fans. Um, What are some of the other ones? They beat. Was was Gary Jack playing for Sheffield then? Ooh, let's have a look. He's either playing or coaching him. I think he's Uh, involved with him. Gary Gary Hetherington was listed as the coach. How's he Gary Jack in their lineup, though? No, it doesn't look like he's. I oh, know he was. He was there in '92. Okay. I think I'm getting it mixed up with when the when Australia played Great Britain for the World Cup final in '92. I think they had a warm up match against Sheffield, and that's when he played against them. Ah, oh, okay. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Well, they played some of the other teams. They played on this tour: Wales, 46 points to four. They beat them. Um, Great Britain, Warrington. Interesting, they played some club games in between the first and uh, second test. They even played the under Great Britain under-21s team. Let's have a look at who's in that team, eh? The under-21s team. Steve Prescott was in that team. Uh, Chris Smith, Carl Hammond, Francis Cummings, uh, Ryan Sheridan. Um, who else? John Clark. I'm just going through the players that I know of. Nathan McAvoy, he was in it. Nathan Sykes, he was in it. So interesting. Yeah. Um, October 6th. And now we're starting to see parts of the ARL, the New South Wales Rugby League, starting to get nervous about this Super League Mm -hmm. saga. Because on October 6th, 
it's revealed that all 28 kangaroos have been asked to sign an agreement ensuring their availability for international football for the next two years. Now, this was kind of brilliant by the ARL and because it meant that they had all of the elite players in Australia under contract. Yep. And we've, you and me have talked about this before. This almost certainly put Super League back at least one year because all of these players had signed. And the, the term loyalty agreement is a massive term that it really starts with these contracts that these players sign. And there are a lot of court cases that come up. And these contracts are the reason that these court cases come up. And early on in a lot of these court cases, the ARL wins a lot of them based on these contracts that these Kangaroos players sign right now. Yeah. Um, definitely definitely ta- tactical, uh, very intelligent move. Yeah, and doing it while they had these elite players in a squad, in a team environment. Look, if we're just signing these contracts, it's just say you all say that you'll be available to play for Australia. The players probably didn't realise what they were signing at the time. And, yeah, brilliant move. Yeah. Um, October 9, Kangaroo Management site, we, uh, Wigan prop Barry McDermott over an alleged elbow on Australian forward Paul Sirenen. Have you, do you Did you see that? Do you remember it? You know, we... We watched that elbow. I don't remember it, but we watched it about a month ago. I can't remember mm. why we were looking at it. We might have been looking up um, dirty plays in rugby league. Yes. It was a shocker. It was a real shocker. It was a proper old school. Yeah. Cocked his elbow sevens. and hit him from the side of the head. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was brutal. And takes a lot to get poor Siren and clueless. Mm. He hit him hard. Yeah, it was Barry McDermott received a two-match suspension for that and a £1,000 fine. That's a fair suspension going into the Test Series. Yeah. Um, October 17, the league placed a one-year exemption on rugby union players for the purposes of salary cap assessments. Oh, that's interesting. I don't remember that. Um, um, I'm trying to think of any... I guess the South Queensland Crushers took that up and it was a terrible mistake. Oh, yes, that was a bad, bad <laughs> mistake. Um, also October 17, British all-time great player Gus Risman dies at the age of 83. Oh, wow. Um, October 18, a six-week police investigation clears south of any involvement in match-fixing. New South Wales Rugby League General Manager John Quayle admits he has no doubt a Super League document has been prepared. Broncos CEO John Rebo accuses the league of commercial suicide after rejecting the ANZ Stadium as a finals revenue for 1995. Mm, That's interesting. Of course, at the time, the team that was most likely to be using that would have been the Broncos. Yes. So, you know. Um, October 20, the Crushers reportedly offer rugby union star Jason Little 300 grand a season to switch codes. And that he doesn't do that from yes, memory. He stays where he is. Yeah. Um, October 20, 
ARL chairman Ken Arthurson warns the Brisbane Broncos face expulsion from the Winfield Cup over their involvement in Super League discussions. Yeah, and now it's... Well, I mean, we're definitely into it now. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting that I would say anything that you read... It's an interesting time in, in Australia because I feel as though this was a massive turning point in what we saw from the media because all of a sudden media organisations that you felt uh, they were very proud of being unbiased and that all immediately goes out the window and I feel as though it was, I mean, a lot, it was all about Super League and you had battle lines drawn between media organisations and misinformation and rumours and like literal PR campaigns against the opposition being run on front pages of newspapers. It was disgusting, and we never really recovered from it, I don't think. No. Um, the media didn't get over it either. No. They stayed in that mode. Yep. Um, October 27, Broncos chairman Paul Morgan attacks the league and predicts that a Premier League will be established in the near to medium future. Yeah, and it's interesting he called it a Premier League. Um, I, I'm almost certain that they would have been saying to them, we'll do what we did in the Premier League yeah. over in England. Uh, the, the next day, Ken Arthurson and English boss Morris Lindsay team up to ensure that a Rebel Super League will not have access to elite players at test level. Yeah, that didn't last long. <laughs> Um, the Crushers be- continue their search for a rugby union player. This time they're chasing South African star Peter Mueller, but he said no. Now, I don't remember him, uh, obviously. I know that the Canterbury Bulldogs were going after a rugby union star, and he, he won the World Cup in 1995 for South Africa. Yep. And they thought they'd had him on board. Now, I don't know if it was for the 1995 season. I feel like it might have been actually for 1996 or 7. Um, and they thought they had him on board and then basically got a phone call and was like, I can't leave. So, yeah. Uh, fast forward a bit to November 8. Players Union Chairman Peter Moskett says players would ask for pay rises of at least 100% if a Super League was introduced. That's interesting that it was up to the Players Association to say that because the 100% pay rise is unders. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it wasn't even close. Like rugby rugby league players are literally all of a sudden, I, I dare say that in the next 18 months there are more millionaire rugby league players <laughs> than there are right now in the NRL. Many, many. Yes. Um, November 9. Ken Arthurson arrives back in Australia from England to hold secret, urgent talks over the proposed Super League with executives of News Limited. Winfield Cup clubs, Winfield Cup clubs receive a document from the RL seeking a five-year commitment to the head body. So that's more of those um, loyalty agreements, but this time they're for the clubs. Yeah, and uh, I, I think... then it starts to cause problems now. Now it's like the battle lines are drawn and they're not sneaking in a contract like that anymore. 
because on November 10, 18 of the 20 Winfield Club teams have signed letters to support the ARL. Mm. Two didn't. Brisbane? And I believe the other one might have been Canberra. I, I was going to say Canberra, yeah, I think you're right. Um, um, oh, yeah. I didn't remember this one. November 11, news reveals that an Australian player has tested positive to a banned drug after the first test at Wembley. Oh, I don't remember that. Yeah, I don't remember that either. Um, the Broncos pledged their support for a five-year contract with the ARL, conditional on an immediate move towards global promotion of the game. And isn't it funny that that's literally what rugby league was thinking was global at that stage. Yeah, that's exactly right. They were, I mean, we already had talks about taking the game to Hong Kong, mm. um, more attempts to try and get the game into the USA. So, you know, everything was underway in that regard anyway. Mm-hmm. November 12th. Oh my goodness. I remember this one. Yeah. Ken Arthurson says, inner Sydney clubs will not be forced into amalgamations. Which is really weird, because, yeah. <laughs> so, this is, and it's a backflip on what they had been really open about, that we're going to expand the comp and Sydney clubs are going to die, and that's it. And then they start saying this, and of course, this enraged every, every non-Sydney club basically, especially the Broncos. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But this was a way for the ARL to get Sydney clubs on board and sign their agreements as well. That's the whole purpose behind it. Mm. Um, November 13, Arthurson concedes a Super League of 10 or 12 teams is looking inevitable for the 1996 season. Yeah. Um, November 14, a meeting between reps of the 20 clubs and proposed Super League officials discussed News Limited's plans for a 12-team elite comp as early as 96. Arthurson concedes for the first time that Sydney clubs are well advanced in talks concerning amalgamation. The 20 Woodford Cup clubs are guaranteed a five-year commitment from the league. It's interesting that it didn't take too long for amalgamation to be back on the agenda. He's all back on again. Yeah. Um, it's not a next... very long guarantee, was it? <laughs> it lasted about three days. Yeah. Four days. Um, November 15. Talk of a Super League in Australia leads to plans for a similar comp in England with a World League series as a spin-off. Chief executives of clubs expressed disappointment at News Limited plans to run a 20-team comp as a second tier to an elite Super League in 96. Yeah, and I mean, those things ended up happening. Uh, I guess the expanded World Club challenges that World League competition that they were talking about. And uh, something to come out of that, though, is... Remember, not too long before, Morris Lindsay had an agreement with Ken Arthurson that the elite yep. players, well, that's out the window. It's gone. That's all gone. That's all gone. Yeah. Uh, November 17, Peter Moore, the Bulldogs chief executive, says the Super League should not be rushed. He proposed that they should be aiming at 20, uh, sorry, they should be aiming at 2000, not 1996. And the th- the thing that's going on in the background of all of this is that the ARL had signed an agreement to have Optus Vision pay TV and to, to show the games on Optus Vision pay TV. 
And meanwhile, all of these people are running around saying, well, when we do a Super League, it should be done this way and that way. But the Super League was going to mean that Foxtel got the rights to this league, but the league already had an agreement with Optus Vision. And so, and that that's all Super League was about was pay TV. It was about nothing else at all except pay TV. And so while people are publicly coming out and saying, we shouldn't rush this, we should take our time. It's a very weird situation. That's right. Um, November 21 reveals the first proposed merger talks between two clubs. Do you want to have a guess at who they were? November 2194. I'm going to say... I'm going to say Eastern Suburbs. No. Okay. <laughs> Completely wrong. Did West, were the mass, West Magpies involved? Yes, they were. Okay. Because they had to be. They were dying. And what about them in... Uh, I guess, what about them in South? No, it was West and Cronulla. Wow. That's interesting. The crazy thing about this is in 1982-83, mm-hmm. both those clubs were so close to insolvency. Mm-hmm. Um, it was it was remarkable that they managed to survive, especially West. And here we have two of the, possibly at the time, financially weaker teams wanting to merge together. Yeah. Um, November 23, Jonathan Davies agrees to join the Cowboys. Yeah, I can't. I honestly can't remember how he played for the Cowboys, hey? Yeah, I, I don't remember it either. I don't think it, it was that fantastic, to be honest. Yeah, I, I just can't remember. I don't think he played that many games for them. Mm. Um, November 27, Cronulla announced a $7 million windfall through the sale of property near Caltex Field, a record league club profit, and a $300,000 football club surplus. Nice. They're safe forever then. Good. Yeah. Uh, The Sun Herald reveals Steve Roach has received a huge offer from Canterbury to come out of retirement. Whoa. That's interesting. I wonder how old he would have been at that point. That's a good question. He's got to have been... I mean... Gotta have been pretty old, surely. Uh, thirty-two. Wow, I I thought he would have been way older than that. Yeah. Um, November twenty-eight. News Limited announced they will present their first written Super League proposal to the ARL in February. That's interesting. <laughs> uh, December one. The ARL announced plans to stage the 98 World Cup at the new 80,000-seat Olympic Stadium at Homebush. And they also announced a record profit of $12.49 million for the year. That's pretty impressive. All that money is about to be spent really quickly. Um, interesting thing there is that they were, they were looking at having a World Cup just three years later after 95. Yeah. Um. December, well, I think that might have been to do with 90 years of rugby league in Australia, probably. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense, actually. Um, December 4, a confidential poll conducted on behalf of Cronulla reveals an overwhelming desire among St George supporters to merge with the Sharks rather than any other club. I can understand why that poll was kept confidential. 
Yes, that wouldn't have been too well received, I'd imagine, by many of the fans. Yeah, who the hell? Who the hell would think that that's a good idea, either of those clubs? Yeah, exactly. Um, December 7, news breaks of West's decision to appoint an administrator after the football club incurs debts of $850,000. Wow, that's incredible. Um, December 8, a car driven by former Penrith star Brad Izzard is involved in a fatal accident in Sydney's West. Izzard suffers minor injuries. Yeah, I remember that, actually. I'm pretty sure Brad Izzard at the time was a cop as well. Mm. I'm I'm almost certain he was a cop. Um, Penrith, this is December 11. Penrith, Parramatta and Canterbury clubs are said to be in the running for Sydney's second NBL licence. I don't remember that. Could have done worse than any of them. They ended up going with the uh, Razorbacks. I can't. I feel like they might have been linked a little bit with Canterbury, but I'm not 100% certain. Yeah, I can't remember that at all, to be honest. Um, December 15, Rayleigh Burnt of Brisbane and Marilyn McKenna of Wide Bay are appointed touch judges for the World Sevens Tournament. Oh, that's very cool. Yeah, yeah some more some more uh, women's rugby league history. Um, December 22, the Western Reds signed a lucrative sponsorship with fast food outlet Red Rooster, boosting the club's annual corporate sponsorship to $5 million. That's incredible. That's a lot. Wow. And December 24... The Auckland Warriors name 11 internationals in their first trial outfit to play New Zealand provincial side Canterbury in January. Far out. Yeah, they were a star-studded team at that point. Um, yeah. There's, and, and rugby league is, in the next 12 months from that moment on, is about to change radically, which yeah. is a uh, big, big, big season coming up in 95, mostly off the field. I feel as though the 95 season on the field was a bit meh. No yeah, one knows what went on because the off-field stuff was just chaos. And, I mean, we might just have to do that episode in the next few days, I guess, as well. Yeah. And, like, you you could literally do that episode and say, this this team won the, you know, this team won the uh, State of Origin, this team won the Premiership, and now we'll talk about what the real story was. <laughs> That's pretty much how it'll work. Um, so we might quickly wrap this one up because it's been a rather lengthy episode this one yeah yeah it has been uh i loved the 94 season as a kid uh it was so exciting so many great players so many good young players that would go on to be staples of the game um for a long long time to come and but for me the season when i think of 95 i think of brett marlins tearing up newcastle what do you think about yeah, it's it's Brett Mullins. There's no one else. Um, mm-hmm. I thought what I'd do too is just have a quick look at who won the awards in '94. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah, um, I guess the the three memories that stick out for me is Brett Mullins against Newcastle, uh, the the grand final. Obviously, Canberra were fantastic, and then Bradley Clyde getting knocked out by Sean Edwards in the the Test series in the Ashes, 
And it was it really, I mean, it, he was never the same after that, unfortunately, Bradley Clyde. That's true. Actually, one other thing was the emergence of the Cronulla Sharks' third-grade team. Mm-hmm. This is the this is who they had in their um, Presidents Cup side, which was third grade back then, mm-hmm. um, on Grand Final Day. David Peachy, Matt Daylight, Matt Rogers, uh, Ben Samet, Adam Dykes, Gavin Clinch, Dean Treister, Adam Ritson. There's a player. Sean yeah. Ryan, Nick Graham, uh, Wade Forrester. They they all became first grade players within the next two or three years. Yeah, and bloody good players too. Yeah. Um, so Cronulla won the Presidents Cup Grand Final thirty to six over East. They also won the Reserve Grade Grand Final over Newcastle fourteen to four. Well, just the, I mean the Newcastle Reserve Grade team that'd be interesting to go through and see how yeah, many of those had, players. Yeah. Okay. Well, they had Robbie Ross, Shane Vincent, Brett Grogan, um, Jason Martin, Tim Madison, Max Chapman. Paul Marquette, Billy Peden, Wayne Richards, Tony Butterfield, Damien Driscoll, they were all either past first graders or future ones. Yeah. And for the Sharks, they had uh, Chris King, Queen, Kurt Wrigley, Paul Donaghy, Paul Bell, Glenn Coleman, Stuart Topper, Michael Porter, Aaron Raper, Craig Greenhill, Nathan Long, Alan Wilson, Robbie Kearns, Andrew Pearce. There's a lot of a lot of first graders in both those teams. That's incredible. Yeah, unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, the Rothmans medal was won by David Fairley. Second mm-hmm. was Steve Menzies. Third was Paul Green. Paul Paul Green. People will forget how good of a player he was. Actually, Paul Green. Oh, um, yeah. Steve Menzies. Now I can't remember the season he had in '94, um, but for him to get second in that that uh, Rothmans medal. I mean, he, he must have had a great season. Yeah. Um, those first few years that he had, my God. Um, he was basically a centre that could defend, and so he was playing at, at either in second row or at lock most of the time. Mm. But, um, See, I, I kind of remember him more going forward from that season onwards, hey? Yeah. But in 94, he scored 16 tries in 23 games. Which but that's crazy. Was his one, two, three? That was his fourth best season as a try scorer. Yeah, that's incredible. As a second rower, far out. Um, Dally M medal winner was Cliff Lyons. Mm-hmm. Second was Jim Sedaris. Third was Alan Langer. Mm-hmm. The Dally M team of the year was Brett Mullins, Daryl Halligan, Andrew Eddinghausen, Cliff Lyons, Alan Langer, Ian Roberts, Jim Sedaris, Steve Menzies, Brad Fittler, Captain Mel Meninga, Coach Peter Louie. Player's player went to Bradley Clyde. The rookie was Steve Menzies. The rep player was Ben Elias. And the junior Dalian went to Michael Withers. Oh, Mick Withers. How far out. Yeah. It's it's interesting that uh, Brett Mullins didn't win the Dalian, hey? No, he didn't. <laughs> like he should have. How did he not win it? That's right. So, yeah, that's all the major um, award winners for the year. Thank you all enjoyed that. Yeah, of course, importantly, Australia great, beat Great Britain 2-1 in the Test Series. The last great Ashes Series, too. That's right. And that one loss was the only loss on the entire tour. Yeah, incredible. That was... And it was the first Test 
Yes, it was in London. And that is also the series that I believe both of us um, credit for destroying our future sleeping patterns for the next, like, <laughs> what was it be? I don't even want to know well, how many years it's been. Two or three. Well, since, yeah, it's yeah. been a while. Yeah. Um, yeah, so um, we plan on doing a lot more of these sort of things, like year review type things. So hope you like it. We'll yeah. wrap this turkey up. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Uh, you can follow Andrew on uh, Twitter. You just go to Andrew RLP. You can follow me, League Freak. Just look up League Freak, no space. Uh, go to the Patreon, patreon.com forward slash RL Project. Donate to the Rugby League Project. That would be fantastic. Of course, go to Rugby League Project. That's rugbyleagueproject.org. Go to leaguefreak.com. And yeah, fergonthefreak.com. Of course, fergonthefreak.com. Follow us on uh, Twitter, fergofreakpod. And on yeah, LinkedIn, on Facebook, on oh, YouTube, yeah. on every podcasting thing there possibly is. Um, you can't not find us. Yeah, we're everywhere. In fact, if you're listening in bed, we're standing outside your bedroom door right now. So check it out. Exactly. Um, yeah, so thanks for tuning in, everyone. And we'll catch you next time.